Welcome to Adaptify. I'm Mike, I'm a paraplegic from New Zealand, and it's my mission to find the Adaptifiers of the world. People who have overcome challenges and found new, creative, interesting ways to be free despite needing to use a wheelchair for their mobility. Hey everyone, welcome back. It's Mike here from the Adaptify podcast. Today marks episode 50 of the show, which means we've had 50 amazing Adaptifiers so far. They've all got incredible stories to share and tips and tricks and knowledge to help you live a greater than life. It's been an absolute honor to have them on the show. If you want to learn more about them, uh, find out about their profiles and their social media links, go to adaptify.com. Uh, be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review if you've uh, got some value out of it so far. Also on the Adaptify website is uh, the Bike Project. Uh, learn more about uh, how we're creating the world's first two-wheeled adaptive bike that you can truly ride independently if you've got lower limb paralysis. And also the world's first retractable strap system for wheelchairs, uh, the Lap Stacker. Never will you drop anything again from your lap while using your wheelchair Go and check it out at Adaptify.com. So today's guest is Maria Rabaino. Maria is a founding member of the Rolex Dance Group, an incredible organization that's empowering women from all over the world to learn to dance, to be empowered, to um, be boundless, as they say. Maria is also a certified personal trainer and it's her mission to improve access to uh, fitness advice for wheelchair users in particular and the disabled community. Uh, Maria, welcome to the show. It's such an honor to have you here. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. Hey, so tell us a little bit about uh, where you grew up and what your life was like uh, before your injury. What sort of things yeah, are you into? Um, I uh, grew up in just like a really relative, like, family kind of house. We, um, we were all heavily involved in cheer and football. So I did that for most of my life. High school, I got involved in theater. So I became a little bit of a drama nerd. And uh, we've just always kind of been involved in extracurricular activities. Um, and then I graduated high school and ended up going uh, to college. And um, I was a typical stressed out college student, like many people are, uh, trying to figure out the impossible trifecta of doing well in school, making enough money to pay rent and bills and having some form of a social life. So, um, you know, I was a little stressed out and um, my second semester is actually when I ended up in the car crash that paralyzed me at the L1 level. Um, I just got my tax return so I would have enough money to pay rent for a couple of months to have one less thing to worry about. And that way I could focus more on school and more on everything else. Um, and that's when my friends invited me to drink beer with them and hang out with them uh, before I ended up in the hospital. So it sounds kind of typical uh, student life and a time yeah. of your life when you're you're trying to figure things out. Um, mm -hmm. You've you've perhaps got this sort of sense of freedom from coming out of high school, right? But then yes. you've also got the pressure of oh my goodness, what am I going to do with my life? How's this going to work? This is this is real now. You know, it's like it's all on me. Um, <laughs> exactly. And then throwing in uh, a life-changing injury into the mix must have just been uh you know 
horrendous. Um, a little different, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a I little different. At, at any time, <laughs> at any time of your life, yeah. it's it's tricky. But but maybe even more so at that time of your life when uh, when you've got yeah. so much else to figure out. Um, tell us a, tell us just a little bit about about the accident and how you managed to get through that. Absolutely. Um, so as I mentioned, my friends invited me to drink beer and hang out with them. And it was just a regular night out with friends. We were sharing jokes, having a good time, dancing, listening to music. Um, and then as I mentioned, I just woke up in the hospital. I actually have no memory as to what had happened, but I did want to kind of find out what happened. So I did a little bit of research. I read the medical report. I read the police report and, uh, it was a single car crash. The driver who had also been drinking lost control, uh, speeding in the rain. And we ended up hitting two trees and we spun across the street and landed next to a bush. Um, the seatbelt, while it kept me in the car, while it held me, held me, kept me alive, kept me from getting brain damage. It did also break my back and paralyzed me at the L1 incomplete spinal cord, uh, injury level. Um, it was, uh, you know, it was a little terrifying. The detective did not think that I was going to survive, but here I still am. So, um, mm. and they originally diagnosed me as a complete spinal cord injury. We never got the MRI to see how much damage was done to my spinal cord. They were kind of busy doing other things, saving my life, which is understandable. And um, as so when they saw the break in my back, they're like, okay, well, you know what? We're just going to call her a complete spinal cord injury. There's no way there's any connection. Um, and we're going to move forward with other things. It wasn't until about six months later when I was able to move my legs around and I could kick my doctor. <laughs> I kicked him and I was like, what happened here? Like, I thought I was supposed to be able to do this. Um, so he went back and he figured it out. And even though we don't know to this day how damaged my spinal cord actually was, we know that I, there is some sort of connection there. But as far as getting through it, I had a big support with my family and with all of my friends. They came, they really came together for me while I was in the hospital. Mm. Um, and they were making jokes with me from day one. My parents, uh, they looked at me like, Maria, it's okay. You were the shortest person in the family then. You're still the shortest person in the family. Like, nothing <laughs> has changed. Um, so I had that, that support system that I really needed. My family didn't treat me really any different at all. They just kept me laughing, kept me up, up to my positive self. And, you know, with them, it was amazing. Uh, as I was in the hospital, learning how to recover, learning how to relive life, um, I heard about this new show that was being promoted, Push Girls, which a lot of us know about in the community. And Chelsea is in that show. And we were really excited that I get injured. And all of a sudden, there's this show about five women who are going through the same thing that I have been through. Mm -hmm. So I we started looking things up. One thing led to another. My parents found Chelsea's dad on Facebook and sent him a Facebook message. He called my dad. Chelsea called me. They drove from Monterey up to California, or they drove from Monterey up to Sacramento, which is about a three and a half hour drive. Um, we got to know each other. I was only five months injured when she invited me to the first dance camp ever, which is kind of the birth of the Rolettes dance team. Wow. I want to unpack a bit of that um, just to start yeah. with. That's... Um, I mean, family and friends, yeah, they're they are so incredibly important. If you're lucky enough to have a, a good network like that, it, it's an, it's oh, really it's... invaluable. Um, but you know, when everyone goes home and you're lying in your hospital bed alone, you you really do have time to think about your situation. And and 
I'm yes. curious to know what some of those sort of dark, darker moments were that you were thinking about and what your perception of what your life might be like. And Absolutely. at that moment, how did you, you know, what was the thought process that was going through your mind? And and so, you know, how did you how did you manage to just get get through that? What what was yeah. the self-talk that was going on in your mind at the time? I feel like my story is a little unique in this. As you mentioned, um, I had a taste of freedom. I had a taste of independence when I moved out of my parents' house going to Mm. college. And so when I got injured and I had to go back to complete dependence on having my mom and my dad help me take a shower, get dressed, go to the bathroom, like I did not want that anymore. I wanted to just become independent as fast as possible. Mm. Um, I definitely had my moments. There was one day where my legs had feelings of, like I need to go for a run, even though I couldn't move them. And I definitely had a meltdown that day and just was really heartbroken and distraught. But my mom gave me what we have is called a damn it doll. And you just hold it by the legs and you beat the crap out of it. Basically Um, (laughs) a a nice little way to get the, get the anger out. Um, And I was very, very positive throughout most of the journey in the hospital um, and just so driven and focused on getting my independence back. But I did start getting some darker thoughts towards after my first year of being injured because I spent that whole first year focused on myself. I met my husband, well, my now husband. I met um, Chelsea. We danced. We started the team together. Um, I found my independence. I found my womanhood very fast. Uh, But because I was so focused on finding my independence as quickly as possible, I forgot to think about what I was going to do with my life afterwards. And that's kind of when all the darker thoughts kind of came in for me. And I went through a bad depression. I was gaining weight. Um, If I wasn't with the team performing, I would go home or I would go to work. And then on my way home from work, I'd pick up something at McDonald's, go home, watch TV until I go to bed and just keep repeating that Mm -hmm. really unhealthy cycle. So it was after that, um, that I was really dealing with all those struggling thoughts once I got my independence back, but eventually I kind of worked myself back up through it. You do hear that eh? when you've, when you've got support in the hospital and initially, um, you've got lots of people asking after you and they're, they're, you know, they're, they're really, um, you know, you've got a lot of support and then there comes a time when people kind of get a sense that maybe you're okay and you don't, they don't need you as much. And that's when I talk about the sort of the dip and you experience that yourself. Um, You were, you said you were working, what sort of work were you doing at the time? Um, I was doing a lot of office work. I'm a personal assistant. I still work for the same guy, so it's working out really well. He also has a spinal cord injury. He's a quadriplegic. Mm-hmm. And um, so I help him out with writing his emails, writing out his checks and getting his dinner ready, a lot of different things like that. It's just, you know, re- regular typical office work that pays the bills until I can succeed in my own kind of other passions that I've been working on. Yeah, nice. Well, that's that's nice that you found something that you could you could do that would, that paid the bills, right? Yeah. So, so that's fantastic. So you're sitting there, you've just eaten some McDonald's, you're looking at at television. Um, when was the moment that you went, I've got to I've got to change this? And and um, what what was the what was the sort of catalyst there? Yeah, 
it was the start of 2017 where I really started to change a lot of my life and started making positive changes towards becoming the woman who I am today. Um, I realized that I was a lot happier when I was with the team and we were really active and we were performing and doing a lot of different things. So, um, and I was really unhappy when I was at home doing nothing. So I decided that I needed to start working out or doing something. The whole reason I started working out was because I was tired of being unhappy with my life. And I looked up a variety of different workouts and it was a struggle finding workouts that worked for me. If I looked up adaptive workouts, I would find someone sitting in a chair, not necessarily a wheelchair, but just a regular chair doing bicep curls, which is great, but there's so much more to our bodies than biceps. Mm. And then if I looked up workouts that were not adapted, it was somebody jumping over a picnic table or a park bench and doing a bunch of really cool things that were impossible for me to do. And so I really struggled finding the middle ground with that, but I just kept working hard. And eventually I learned how to shift my focus to what I could do instead of what I couldn't do. And I tried squats while holding on to something. It was a park bench very sturdy, very safe. I had my husband with me. And even though I couldn't do a full squat, it was what ignited the fire in me to film my workouts and show people what I do, because I knew if I struggled, that a lot of other people would struggle as well. Nice. Isn't it great to be able to give back and, and how yeah. rewarding that is when you get feedback from others to say, hey, thanks so much. And, you know, I'm sure you got lots of comments from people describing the, the like you said, they were in the same yeah. position. Um, yeah, that's that's a great way to it's a great way to motivate and uh, and feel uh, feel like you're contributing and giving back. You mentioned, uh, you know, the the dance uh, the dance aspect. Were you a dancer before your injury? Did I was not a dancer, but I was a cheerleader for most of my life. I cheered from I think fourth grade all the way up until my sophomore year in high school, um, and it was just it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it, but eventually I wanted to get more involved into theater, so I set that aside. But yeah, so tell I've us. Always what, been a bit of a performer. <laughs> okay, you, yeah, okay, right. Yeah. Well, well, it sounds like a perfect fit for the uh, the rollettes. Tell us yes. about tell us about the evolution of the rollettes and and how that how that sort of began and your involvement with that. Of course. So as I mentioned, about five months into my injury, I was invited to join this dance camp, and it was going to be just like a one time thing where I was going to be with a total of seven women in wheelchairs that have all experienced the same thing that I have or similar things that I have. And uh, it was so much fun. I drove down to Monterey with my husband and we had the time of our lives. We, I learned so much about easier ways to transfer in and out of my chair, easier ways on how to bring all my bathroom supplies with me, a lot of different things. Like they gave me so many life hacks. They taught me how to wear high heels again and, you know, really brought that womanhood back to me. And it really helped me get my independence back as fast as it did. So because of that, um, Afterwards, I was talking to Chelsea and I said, we need to keep this going. Like this can't just be a one-time thing. And we all had so much fun that we decided to make it a team. And that was kind of the birth of the roulettes. We started performing in small areas here and there. We would have these dance camps as like a reunion of sorts because we couldn't always get together at the time. People lived all over the place that were on the team. Um, eventually Chelsea, eventually I moved down from Sacramento to Monterey and I lived with Chelsea for a year as we worked on creating the team. 
And then after that first year, Chelsea moved down to LA where she could really kickstart even more opportunities for us. I couldn't afford to move there. So I'm still up here in Monterey. Plus it's really hard to leave the weather. I love the weather here, (laughs) but, um, Chelsea, uh, brought a lot of performance opportunities for us down there. So I did a lot of driving. I still do a lot of driving, maybe too much back and forth from Monterey to LA, just so I could perform and be with the girls. Uh, we built what is now known as the Rolettes experience. And we just had our most recent one where 300 women and children from all over the world were able to vir- virtually connect with us, learn how to dance, learn how to participate in fitness uh, fitness classes. We had a makeup seminar. We had amazing panelists speak, talking about intimacy and relationships, talking about um, disabled rights activism, talking about just you know a variety of different things, being disabled and a boss. And it was just really phenomenal. And to see how it's grown from when I was newly injured and how even though it's it's the same thing, but it's just bigger and we're able to impact more women and it's just phenomenal. Wow, so cool. I've, um, you know, I've watched since since I came across uh, the role itself, I've watched, like you say, it's just growing yeah. from strength to strength. I watched you perform mm-hmm. at the um, LA Abilities Expo. Yeah. And I mean, you were the center of attention there just about <laughs> for the whole event. It was, um, the buzz was amazing. Uh, you've done such a, such a fantastic job of creating that community. What was uh, what's been some of the hard hard things with forming forming that, um, and and how did you guys uh, manage to to get through all that? I think for us, uh, some of the hard parts were that we started this team when we were still so fresh out of high school and still so fresh to figuring out our own lives Mm -hmm. that developing that professionalism and being taken seriously by so many other companies to sponsor the events that we were putting on has been the biggest struggle for us. We're now getting to that point to where we have worked on ourselves personally and we have that level of professionalism and, um, We've been able to find so many amazing sponsors that have made the Rolettes experience what it is today. Without them, it would not be possible. But um, other things were how we fit six wheelchairs in a van and all of our luggages. But we just became really good at Tetris, obviously, and found ways to make it work. <laughs> oh, man, it's funny. It's an interesting uh, visual picture in my mind of uh, <laughs> filing in all those wheelchairs around you. Um, oh, Yeah. <laughs> It's so good. It is really good to learn from other other wheelies, isn't it? To to understand oh, yeah. uh, the little tips and tricks that uh, that you that you have and can share, um, for sure. Um, so, you know, you say you worked on yourself uh, personally to to build up this professionalism. Was there any anything you recommend uh, others? Uh, you know, any other resources or, or uh, techniques or um, tips you've got to share on that front? My biggest advice to anybody who needs to work on themselves, either physically, mentally, or emotionally, is to focus on what you can do, which sounds easier said than done. But anytime I would catch myself saying, oh, I can't do that, I would immediately be like, no, you just can't do it this way that you're imagining. Mm -hmm. Try to think of three different alternatives that can get you a similar result. So with uh, the squats, per se. It was, oh, I can't do squats standing up. So what if I try laying down? It's like, no, that doesn't really work out the same muscle. Uh, My friend, uh, he was helping me try to like figure it out as well. And he's like, why don't you try holding on to something? I'm like, oh, yeah. Why don't I try that? That sounds so easy. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But um, 
focusing on what you can do will really not only help you realize that there's more that you can actually do, but other people will see you trying incredibly hard that they'll give you advice. They'll be more willing to help you. If you keep saying, oh, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. A lot of people are going to be like, well, what's the point in giving her advice? What's the point in helping them if they can't help themselves? Um, So focusing on what you can do is some of my biggest advice. Um, Also, don't be afraid to go to therapy. Therapy can help for so many different things. I've been in therapy for over a year now, and it's helped me grow so much as a person. And, you know, I just, you know, love it. Tell me about the therapy. What sort of therapy uh, have you been going through? Um, just for battling with my depression, I, uh, since it's something that really tore me down to some of my lowest thoughts, I wanted to find ways, find healthier ways to deal with that. I would let myself kind of go in those phases of depression and doing nothing until I got sick of it. And then I would go full force into working out and getting healthy and I would gain a bunch of weight and then I would lose it and then gain a bunch of weight and then lose it. So now that I'm going through therapy, I'm learning how to not make those waves as big. Like there's still like small little bouts, but I'm getting a lot better at staying consistent on taking care of my mental health and taking care of my physical health at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, It used to just be like one or the other, but yeah. So I suppose the benefit of having a third party there is they can, they can give you some objectivity to to the yes. to what what you're describing, and also yes. some sort of accountability. I imagine too, right? Where oh yeah, yeah, you kind of got to front up. You can't you can't really bullshit them. You you kind of <laughs> and and if <laughs> they if, know yeah, if they get a sense <laughs> that you're actually telling telling lies or you're not being honest, yeah. then they'll call you. A, yeah. good, a good counselor will call you on it, right? Um, yeah, oh yeah, um, <laughs> they definitely will. Isn't it amazing? Um, I've had a bit of counselling over the years, and and afterwards, you kind of feel this lightness. I've, I always feel this lightness, like I've, I've managed to get things off your chest. You know, having yeah. having a form of um, you know uh, depression or some some sort of mental health um, challenge. It's often difficult to ask people around you that you know for help because you think, oh, I don't want to be a burden. I don't want to, yeah. you know. And then, but if you go to the professional, I mean, it's their job. They're trained with um, with ways to um, help you. Yeah. So yeah, thoroughly thoroughly recommend it. I mean, it's they can make everybody <coughs> needs a therapist. It, it can help with a variety of different things. Even if you haven't been through a traumatic injury that ended that ended up putting you in a wheelchair, everybody could use one to work through. Even like just small things. It's it's just some fine tuning. It's like you're doing some oil change on your car. You're just maintaining your life and your mental health. So. Yeah, yeah, that's a good that's a good way of thinking about it. We're we're yeah. human. We've got we're, 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 we we've got some things we got to work out. We do, we do, yeah. we do for sure. Um, Maria, tell tell us a little bit about your so so you're an incomplete spinal cord injury, and it means you use a wheelchair, but you can also stand and and use your legs. Yeah, I saw a video recently you made with um, Richard Corbett around. Yeah, people describing you as sort of faking it if you can can walk, and you know there's all sorts of perceptions out there if you've uh, you're a wheelchair user or uh, spinal cord injury, whatever. Tell us about your perception of of a wheelchair user before your injury. What did you What did you think um, that life? Did it really? Like? Yeah, I didn't really think much about disability. There was I never really seen a disabled person uh, like especially in a positive light. If I did, it was in 
the manner of maybe they were homeless or anything like that. The first kind of exposure I got to disability was somebody who had a service dog in our high school, but they were still able to walk around. It was just kind of like a precautionary making sure that their blood sugar was good. I think they had diabetes or Mm. something like that. And so I didn't really have an idea of disability because disability didn't exist in my world. It wasn't something that I experienced a lot of. Um, So when I got injured, they were telling me all these things like, you know, you're going to be fine. You're still going to be independent. And I was very confused because I was waking up and I was heavily medicated so they could keep my pain levels down low. And Um, My mom could see the confusion in my face and she asked if I understood what was going on. And somehow, even though I didn't fully understood, I still understood. And I asked if, um, are you saying I'll never be able to walk again? And they said, well, we don't know. And I, at that point, I just needed somebody to be direct and honest with me. I didn't, I'm not the kind of person who likes when you beat around the bush or Mm. you go to somebody else to come to me about a problem, like just come to me directly and tell me directly save so much time and so many problems. Um, so I eventually they did tell what was going on. They kind of explained everything that was going on for me. And the moment I became disabled, I was thrown into this positive team about disability. So it went from knowing nothing to only seeing the good in mm. having a disability. So it kind of helped me accept it a lot faster, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. Yeah. That's fantastic. So, yeah, I, I hear, you know, a lot of the people that uh, we've had on the podcast here have joined sports teams, uh, you know, yeah. rugby or basketball or tennis. And like you say, they get to see the positive straight away. They get to see what's possible and, and uh, you know, that's... It can make a difference. It can make a big difference. Yeah, it's super, super, super cool. Um, I'm curious to know about uh, your relationship, your marriage. How did... How did that all unfold and um, what advice do you have for other, um, you know, uh, people out there listening uh, around relationships, particularly if uh, if you have a disability of some form? Yeah. Um, so I met my husband one time before I got injured. And this was at a time in my life when I didn't believe in love. So I didn't give him the time of day. Hang on a minute. You that, didn't believe did in love. Tell us about that. I didn't oh, believe in love. I know. It. I have heartbreak after heartbreak in high school uh there was this guy who I was pen pals with and we planned a picnic and then he ended up breaking my heart and after that I swore off love I was like love doesn't exist I'm not going to give any guy the time of day I'm not going to give them any of my attention mm-hmm. and Flyin was my, Flyin, my husband he was one of those guys and he didn't like me because of that I just kind of turned my back towards him and started talking to somebody else mm. uh <laughs> But then (laughs) after I got injured, I discovered that love did exist by the constant love and support that I got from my friends and family. Um, And after I got my back brace off, after I was able to independently drive by myself again, I went to a different club. And that is where I met my husband the second time. Mm -hmm. And this time, you know, I was somebody who believed in love and I was having the time of my life at this club and having so much fun dancing and enjoying time with my friends. And he definitely fell in love with me then because he was actually supposed to take a job uh, across the country. And he accidentally missed his flight because he just wanted to see where things would go for, go with me. So he went from full scale, like, 
one side, I don't like this girl to this girl's amazing. And I got to find out what happens. And he's been the best kind of man to have in my life. I never had to have any kind of awkward conversation with him on how I go to the bathroom or how I do anything like that because his mom was in the medical field. So he already kind of knew, which made things a little bit easier for us. Um, But he's always been so warm and loving and accepting. There was one time where I had had an accident when I was still trying to figure everything out. And I was crying because I needed his help because I couldn't figure out how to handle it by myself. Mm. And for me, I was thinking, this is the end. He's going to be disgusted by me. But he not only helped me out, but he got me laughing about it by the end of it. And that's kind of how I knew, like, this guy is the one. Obviously, no relationship is perfect. And we've had our struggles. Um, But you can have a relationship with a disability and you can find somebody who loves you for you. If somebody doesn't like you because of your disability, that is not on you. You are not less than because one person denied you. That is Mm. completely on them. You deserve somebody who loves you for you completely. And um, that's the most important thing. It might be a little bit more annoying, but it's also a little bit of a filter because somebody who's shallow enough to not date a disabled person is probably somebody who's not worth being in your life anyways. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's easy to say that though, but if you're kind of, if you're, you know, if you're, you're dating and you're getting, you're getting kind of rejected time and time again, or, or people are, not returning your calls or whatever. Um, it's it can be hard. I guess the the thing is just to keep the yeah. faith, right? To to know that there is the there faith. is someone out there, and you can you can look at Maria and, and her relationship and go, well, she's just like it can happen. You know, it can happen, right? Yeah, I will say I found him. I, I mean, he fell in love with me when I was at the point to where I was so focused on myself and so focused on finding my independence. Mm. So instead of going out there and specifically looking for love, go out there and work on building yourself up, work on building who you are, learn how to love yourself. And while you're in the middle of doing that, somebody's going to be so attracted to you becoming the person that you've always wanted to be, that they're going to fall in love with that as well. And they're going to see more than just the disability. They're going to see the love and the passion behind you. It's so true. You often hear of, uh, you know, people saying to you, oh, when you least expect it, that's when things will happen. <laughs> you know, when you're not looking, things will happen. And I think you're right. It's when it's when you're in your flow and when you're yes. your true, authentic self, right? Then then people can actually see you for you and they'll, they'll be attracted to that. You know, if, you, if you're not Absolutely. enjoying being in your own skin, then how is somebody else going to enjoy enjoy that, you know? It's very true. It's very true. So, uh, so I'm so pleased for you. That sounds like such a, such an amazing, um, yeah, amazing story. Um, like you say, though, relationships take work. So it, there's no there's there's no escaping that. You you just um, you got to work on your communication, and you you got to absolutely. You know, and it, so it has lots of um, yeah, lots of lots of work still to be done. But um, love is love is possible if you're a wheelchair user. There's there's no doubt about that. It really um, is. Tell us a little bit about um, the journey to becoming a um, certified personal trainer. What was what was that journey like? So I just recently became a certified personal trainer last mm-hmm. month. Um, I am really happy about Congrats. it. Uh, nice. It's 
Yeah, it's always been something I kind of just wanted to do um, ever since I found my passion of making health and fitness more accessible. Um, and I knew that this was the big step that needed to happen. Um, so I signed up around this time last year to become a certified personal trainer. They mailed me the books. They gave me the login information online. And it was like a thousand page book, super thick. Wow. Uh, a lot of reading almost got overwhelming. But uh COVID kind of happened and I was working less hours. So I had a lot more time to study. So I took advantage of the extra time that I had and was able to kind of really just buckle down and get to work. And I became certified a month earlier than I needed to. And yeah, yeah, it's been, it's been an adventure. Um, this course is not designed for people without disabilities or is not designed for people with disabilities. It's, um, all there was maybe one chapter that was like three or four pages long on adaptive fitness. And so some of my plans are going to involve in changing that and, you know, making sure that there's more, more curriculum on how trainers can help people with disabilities because we can be healthy. There is that middle ground between, you know, adaptive fitness of just bicep curls and jumping over a picnic table. But Mm. It all just, it takes creativity and that's something that I'm really looking forward into doing. My goal in life is to make health and fitness more accessible. And this is the first big step I'm taking towards making that happen. Uh, so good. I'm just thinking about that a thousand page book and you're saying three or four pages on adaptive fitness. I mean, yeah. just even from a health and safety perspective, there there, there could be a chapter on that, um, you know, um, autonomic oh, yeah. dysreflexia and you know all sorts of things. So yeah. Yeah, it needs to change. I, I hope you make some um I hope you make some progress there. Um I'm what, looking what forward are, to doing that. You know, so what are some of the challenges as a um as a personal trainer in, in your you know your position? What um and how, how have you managed to sort of overcome come those? Um well I did have to get CPR certified, uh, which is very interesting to do as a wheelchair user, but um I practiced on my husband to make sure that I could actually do the compression. <laughs> so I was like, hey babe, I'm gonna like beat up your chest real quick. Is that cool? Great. Uh, um so I really did have to work on that. And then of course, dealing with nerve pain while studying was a huge barrier for me. But as far as now, I feel like I'm at a little bit of an advantage because there aren't a lot of disabled people, if any, that are also certified personal trainers. And so because I know what it's like living with a disability, I know how to adapt to a bunch of different other abilities for everybody else. Because as we know, disability is diverse. What works for me might not work for you. Mm. And so, um, that kind of gives me the advantage of adapting to a lot of people. Right now, I'm starting out with just weekly live workouts that you are all welcome to join at 10 a.m. Monday mornings to start the week out right, awesome. um, as I like to call it. But there's going to be a lot more cool things coming. I'm still kind of in the planning phase and the preparation phase, uh, but it can happen. That sounds good. So you're you're thinking you're going to run some online uh, online courses, online training oh, yeah. sessions. There'll be a lot of online, online stuff. So that way, no matter where you are at in the world, if you have a disability and you want to be healthier, I'm the girl you can come to. Uh, it's so cool. I'll well, make sure I, I link uh, to that in the show notes. Um, I, I'm thinking, uh, you know, not everyone has weights and dumbbells and things like that. Do you, do you design exercises that people can use everyday oh, yeah. household items, that sort of thing? 
Yeah, um, my I just had a live workout earlier today, and um, we needed resistance bands for the workout that I had planned out for everybody. But you can use uh, household items. You can use nylons to replace resistance bands. You can even use a large towel. Um, it's a little bit different, but as long as you hold the towel tight and you know really focus on the muscle that you're working on, it can help you. There are ways to live healthier without equipment, without even needing to get out of your chair. Um, but Having equipment does make it easier, and I strongly suggest resistance bands for wheelchair users. They are flexible, they are affordable, they're easy to bring with you everywhere. There are latex-free resistance bands out there. You just have to do a little extra research. Um, mm. And then you can just, um, you can attach it to your chair, you can attach it to uh, the railing on your patio, you can attach it to a doorknob. There's so many different places where you can attach it to, to mm. make living a healthier life easier and more adaptive. Yeah. Nice. What about cardiovascularly wise? That's, I've found that quite difficult. Um, cardio, it was definitely a struggle for me as well. Um, there are a few things that you can do. You can, um, you can actually make your workout, your cardio as well by shortening the rests in between sets. So instead of resting for a minute, you rest for maybe 15 seconds and you keep going mm. and that kind of helps get your heart rate up. You can of course go for a push, um, but that can be a little unreliable or it could be too much damage on your shoulders. Swimming is a great alternative, uh, dancing, any kind of activity that gets your heart rate up is gonna be wonderful for you to use. Yeah, a bit of experimentation there. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of the sauna. And um, Ooh, yeah. <laughs> even even the sauna, just just my resting heart rate in the sauna is about 110, 120 yeah. beats per minute. Yeah. And so I guess you could call that cardio cardiovascular yeah. workout. So <laughs> well, <I> just... um, <laughs> it, it certainly gets the blood the blood flowing in the sweat glands. Because yeah. sweating is another thing that uh, can be quite quite tricky to to do unless you're doing really yes. intense physical exercise. So. That's my. I'm not, a person, I'm not a personal trainer, but uh, but I like the sauna. So uh, <laughs> sauna's nice. Sauna's nice. I like getting into my hot tub after I work out to just like really relax my legs and really relax my shoulders as well. Yeah. Tell us how how has the COVID situation affected um, uh, the Rolex experience and yeah. um, you know what what are your plans for for the future of that? I mean, obviously COVID's something that's unknown uh as, as we yeah. go forward what um yeah how are you how are you dealing with that absolutely COVID has affected everybody I am one of the very few people that are very blessed I'm still able to pay all my bills I'm still able to I was able to take advantage of the extra time to become something I've always wanted to be which is a certified personal trainer um I got closer with my husband for the roulettes things have changed we usually go and travel all over the states or even all over the world and perform in different areas to empower other people and kind of shift the world's perspective of what disability is like through dance. Um, but that's a little different this year because a lot of people are staying safe at home and traveling is a little difficult, especially disabled people. They have, they're a little bit more at risk. Uh, but we have found through Zoom that we have been more connected than ever with everybody. Uh, we had, we've been doing monthly Zooms where we can connect with uh, women with disabilities and, you know, have girl chats, girls night, drink, have a little drink while we're chatting. Uh, we had a co-ed Zoom chat for uh, Spinal Cord Injury Awareness Month, which was a lot of fun. Um, and then, of course, the Rolex experience. Usually that is a in-person event. This year we had to make it 100% virtual. Um, 
And it was the biggest success. It actually allowed us to open up to not just women who use wheelchairs, but women with all disabilities and opened up the doors for so many other people as well, which is an opportunity that we've been wanting to bring, but Mm. haven't had the chance to yet. This gave us that opportunity. And it also gave the opportunity for people who otherwise couldn't afford or physically travel. So, um, you know, Mm. it helped help have more people be able to attend this event and help them learn that, yeah, they might have a disability, but they're still a badass woman and they can still do whatever it is that they want in the world. Uh, so good. Amazing, amazing to have a group of mentors like yourselves uh, leading Absolutely. the way there. And it sounds as though the online forum may be something you'll continue to have in your future. Um, I really want it to stay. And a lot of us on the team want it to stay as well. Like some sort of version, of course, personal events give that special connection, but you know, online can be just as powerful as well. It's how we're able to talk, talk right now. So. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, Maria, what, what does the future hold for you um, in, in the next, uh, you know, I guess the next year or so, what, what, uh, what exciting things have you got um, on, on the horizon? I will hopefully have my business set up. Uh, It's still in the planning phases, so I'm not talking much about that yet, but there are going to be a lot of plans towards making health and fitness more accessible. Um, And then we're also, the team hopefully will continue to travel as soon as things kind of ease down. But if not, we're just going to work on our next Roulette's experience. And, you know, that'll hopefully be in person. If not, we'll still have it virtually, but, you know. Uh, so we'll just good. see what this year brings us. <laughs> so good. Oh, well, I'm really excited to see um, how your business unfolds. And and um, yeah. I, for one, am, am looking for, uh, you know, to up my exercise game too. So you might even find uh, find me checking in. Hopefully um, guys can join too. I, I assume they can. Of course. Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. Um, that'd be awesome. Um, where can people uh, connect with you and, and, and learn more about um some of the things we talked about today. Of course, um, my Instagram and my TikTok are the same username at Maria Rabbi, you know, R-A-B as in boy, A-I and as in Nancy O. Um, and you can follow me there. I have a lot of videos on what it's like just being a person with a disability. I have a lot of funny videos. I have um, a lot of stuff on being healthier and working out. Um, so there's, there's just a variety of things that you can find on there. Um, but yeah. Awesome. Well, I'll, I'll be sure to link to to those uh, uh, web addresses in the show notes. It's been an absolute honour to have you on the show. So good. Any any parting words of advice for uh, for our listeners out there? I uh, just you know stay strong, keep focusing on what you can do, and you'll become the person that you want and deserve to be. Totally can't argue with that. That's amazing. Hey, thanks for joining us today, Maria. It's been uh, been a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, yeah, hopefully I get to make it over to LA again one day. I don't know when, but, uh, but I'd love to connect one, (laughs) one other time, LA and even Monterey. Um, Monterey is beautiful. Such a, such a beautiful place in the world. I love it here. Yes. It's it's gorgeous. Um, so yeah, thanks once again. And, um, yeah, uh, you you said you've had a busy day ahead, so I won't hold you too much longer. Um, yeah. Thanks again. I'm glad we got to chat. Thank you so much. Likewise. Yeah. Awesome. We'll, um, we'll put this show up here in, uh, live very soon. All right, good. Thank you. Ciao. Bye. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and meeting today's Adaptifier. To learn more about Adaptify and the products we have in development, 
products that will increase freedom for wheelchair users, go to adaptdefy.com. That's A-D-A-P-T-D-E-F-Y.com. We're also on all the major social media platforms at Adaptify. Follow us there for more behind-the-scenes looks and more up-to-date information on product releases. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. Look forward to catching you next time.